So Patty, today I loved our interview with Charge Sentry. Um, yeah. Chargebacks yeah. have been such a big issue in our industry and it, right. it seems like we're getting really close to just having it solved. You know what I mean? I, that's how I felt mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that what I really liked about these guys is, is that it sort of like dummies down the chargeback it does. rebuttal process, you know, so that almost yes. anybody can handle it. it so, well, that's what it is. I feel like it's it's that small business solution that's been kind yes, of missing in the market. Been, the market's been missing. It and has, then yeah. uh, you had a great question from the field, James. Wanna, um, Thank you. Yes, I went out and closed the sale, dual pricing. Uh, have, you know, had a lot of conversations, but I wanted to go through the entire process as I've been working on a lot of content. And so I just talk about the keys to success there. Um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's still, it's still possible. And in my instance, easy, you know, really to go right. out and sell payment processing. I mean, you're going to get rejection of course in, in any sales position, but I talk about that. And then, uh, Patty gave us a little bit of a data dump today. So tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I've just, uh, giving, giving you some insights on, on, uh, top of wallet considerations and on where we rewards cards stand. you know, I think, uh, people will find some really interesting insights, uh, there. Awesome. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Valor Paytech, uh, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. If you haven't been there already, check it out. Here we go. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are here today with Jack Shannon. He is the founder and CEO of Charge Century. How are you doing today, Jack? Good. Glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for being here. Um Really excited about the technology that you're working on at Charge Century. We're talking about chargebacks and really automating this process that's been kind of an annoying pain point for merchants and for ISOs for that matter. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do, Jack, I always love to hear the story. So how did you end up in this crazy industry? And then how did you end up starting Charge Century? Uh, sure. Well, James, thanks for having me on. I, I, I'm glad that we got uh, time to connect. Uh, charge Chargebacks have been um, a real pain uh, for my entire career, to be totally honest with you, when I worked at companies, you know, had to deal with chargebacks in one way or another. Um, I owned an e-commerce company for about 14 years. And at our peak, we were getting about 150 chargebacks a month. And it was it was a really, to be honest, it was a really tough time in my life, uh, dealing yeah. with the chargebacks, um, you know, in some cases, losing merchant accounts. Right. Uh, and it was just, and, and obviously painful for the, the revenue loss. And so we had, you know, hired a few people to, you know, respond to the chargebacks. Uh, you know, they, their full-time job, you know, 150 chargebacks a month, it was their full-time job to, you know, collect information, sure. uh, compile a, a chargeback response, and then send it off to the processor. And, um, you know, they were doing a fine job, but we were, you know, barely winning around 20%. To be honest with you, we were really just doing it to do our best to, um, you know, manage the health of our merchant accounts. And, um, you know, I just thought there has to be a better way. And so, you know, back then we, you know, created what now has evolved into Charge Sentry, or basically a system that would collect all the chargeback details, all the customer details, all the original transaction information, um, you know, ingest it into our database, enrich that information with additional data to, you know, facilitate, you know, additional uh, fact-based data that we provide to the processor, compile a meaningful, logically oriented chargeback response, and then automatically send it out to the processor. Well, when we did this, uh, it was at, the, at, at, at that moment, it was really a test to see, you know, what it would do. And we went from winning about 20% of our chargebacks to over 60% of our chargebacks and we were able to uh, reallocate those employees to other tasks within the company. Sure. And sure. so 
the 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 you know the 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 in, improvement in cash flow and the time managing you know that whole process was practically eliminated and um so we you know we definitely thought we were onto something and that really helped us all the way through that that company very cool i mean i love it when when somebody starts out um you know based on their personal experience you know because there's so much momentum there there's you know you're you know you're trying to solve your own problem and in the process solving other people's problems right yeah. well we well we looked at we looked at other chargeback solutions uh, on the market you know Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were all okay. Uh, but for us at the time, they were just, you know, prohibitive in whether it was like a long contract or, you know, a large monthly minimum or, you know, the level of integration that um, we had to dedicate to, you know, getting getting integrated with those companies. And, and yes, it would probably would have helped us. And we did try out a couple, but we never had any significant uh, improvement in results. And at the end of the day, we still had to do something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you give us a sense for how bad of a problem chargebacks were for you. I'm wondering if you can extrapolate that at all out to the industry of, as a whole. You know, how big of a problem is chargebacks? Do you have any stats or some trend data that you can share with us? I, I do. So I actually recently exited out of a pain facilitator. I had a pain facilitator for a few years. And um so I'm intimately aware from the merchant side and from the processors and um, when it relates to chargebacks. Mm-hmm. So for small and medium-sized merchants, if you look at that segment of the market, over 60% of these merchants are not uh, are not responding to their chargebacks. Wow. Uh, they they usually and and that's that's a global number. And that that 60% uh, the metric that that I was able to you know find on that is a is a number that's aggregate across the spectrum of merchant size, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at, you know, just the small and medium-sized merchants, not the enterprise, uh, you know, customers, not the Amazons of the world and so on, um, you know, that number is probably going to be in the 80, 90%. They never respond or they try to respond and they lose and they get, um, you know, um, they just don't try again because they just think it's yeah. not worth their time. So is that it? That they, is that the major pain point then? That they just don't think it's worth the time? Is it that they don't understand the the problem full enough? Um, you know, how are you know? I mean, the sense I'm getting is that the way people most merchants are dealing with chargebacks is not dealing with chargebacks. Is that what you're saying? That is true, right? So if you're looking at let's let's take for example a smaller merchant that gets I don't know let's say five chargebacks a month, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this this company is probably you know not Amazon size or even anywhere right. near that, and so they just you know uh, rent it off as a cost doing business. Uh, they they usually do that because you know it's a smaller company, so they probably have less staff or resources to be able to respond to them. They probably don't know how to properly respond to a chargeback. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they may look for templates online, things like that, and that only goes so far. And then when they add in the the cost of the time that they have to invest to respond to every chargeback, you know, it's just not worth it for them. And and especially especially for merchants that are within reasonable risk levels uh, for the processor, right? So let's say, for example, if they're under the you know magic one percent rule. You know, they get five chargebacks. Well, cost doing business rather than attempting to recover that revenue. Mm. Yeah. And does it happen to any, just if you don't mind, James? I know yeah. you have a question, sure. but 
I just wanted to ask Jack one thing. Does it also have, um, I mean, I would think that it has a lot to do with the size of, of the average ticket as well, right? I mean, if your average ticket is, you know, $50 and you're getting five chargebacks, eh, you know, but if your average ticket is $500, I would think that you're going to take, you know, those industries would take a little bit of a closer look at this. Am I, am I correct in assuming that? I, I would agree with that. I mean, right. You know, if someone has an average ticket of, you know, five, $10, you know, it, it may not be worth it. Someone that's getting, you know, a higher ticket, you know, where it's, you know, in the hundred, you know, multiple hundreds or even thousands uh, or even potentially tens of thousands, obviously, you know, that, that hurts a lot more. Um, but it's all relative to their, you know, gross processing, right? So mm -hmm. if someone's processing, you know, $100 million a month and they get, you know, three chargebacks for, you know, $10,000 each, well, you know, it's a larger company. It has a lot more, you know, margin there, hopefully. And um, so they, they, in some cases, they still write those off. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, and I like the interesting thing to me about this, I hadn't really thought about it, is that, you know, it sounds to me like one of the things you're saying about Charge Century is that, you know, we've interviewed other companies that provide some chargeback services, but you're right that most of them are kind of saying, well, this is for your larger merchants. This is for kind of your enterprise accounts and, you know, people that get a lot of chargebacks. I think what I hear you saying is that Charge Century, you know, is also servicing kind of these small to medium merchants that need a kind of an automated system to deal with their chargebacks as well. Is that is that part of this? That is true. So, uh, you know, we we work with all the entire range of uh, merchant sizes, anywhere from you know some of the processes, you know, thousand dollars a month to people that process you know multiple millions of dollars a month and even higher than that. Um, but our target audience uh, compared to, you know, the other um, service providers in the industry, um, we target the small and medium-sized merchant and uh, which is, you know, highly neglected in the industry. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's really because, you know, they, they don't have the same kind of purchasing power the larger companies right. do. So maybe they're just, um, you know, not worth, you know, for lack of a better word, not worth the time of these other right. uh, providers. And, um, and, and, the needs of these small and medium-sized merchants are far different than, you know, the enterprise level. You know, the right. smaller merchants have likely less staff, likely less time to do, you know, kind of general operational work like responding to chargebacks. And so we found that, you know, an automated um, service like this, where it's, you know, arguably set and forget, um, is something ideal for those size merchants. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so so let's dive into Charge Century a little bit. So tell our audience, like, what exactly does Charge Century do? Like, how does this work? You know, what exactly are you doing to help these small and medium merchants uh, automate their chargeback response? Sure. So we differentiate ourselves tremendously from you know the bigger players in, in the industry. Um, you know, the other players usually are requiring a one year contract. Uh, usually have pricing start at a you know or a monthly minimum of around thousand dollars a month. Uh, usually require uh, full integration to get their full suite of services. And in many cases at the end of the day, still require that merchants do something uh, when they get a chargeback. You know, they, they make it easier, of course. Right. Uh, and these, these companies are fine, but they're not fully automated and they heavily rely on the merchant's data uh, to respond to the chargebacks. So we take a completely different approach. We don't have a uh, we don't have a long term contract. Our merchants can sign up for month to month if they choose. Uh, we our pricing starts at ninety nine dollars a month, and we also have a pay as you go plan for merchants that um, maybe get you know one chargeback every few months. So you know it doesn't make sense for them to you know set up a subscription. 
Um, we collect the, all the chargeback data, customer data, transaction data automatically. We enrich that information with uh, additional fact-based data to uh, what we call triangulation of the, of the customer and the transaction. Uh, so we can prove to the issuing bank that the customer was aware of the transaction and you know they say who they 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 are who they say they were and uh, we automatically respond back to the processor on the merchant's behalf uh, we also realize that you know some merchants will have unique information about you know the customer transaction things like that and we allow them to upload additional evidence if they choose they don't have to do that uh, that's not mandatory and we obviously check you know, we constantly are checking to see when we get a, you know, a response back from the processor uh, on that chargeback. And we back all this up with a money back guarantee, which is a first in the industry, where if we don't win the merchant, the value of their subscription with us, they get their money back. So, you know, it's it's really no risk to the merchant to use our service. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, so so I, I want to dive in a little bit. And one thing that really struck me about Charge Century was just like kind of how easy it is to get started. You know, when you visit the website, you know, but again, I, we keep kind of contrasting here because there's a lot of other really good companies in this space. But again, when you go there, you kind of get the feeling like this is kind of a corporate website where you're going to reach out and talk to somebody. Yours is kind of more of that feel of like, okay, cool. I just go sign up for this thing. You know, this is neat. Um, talk about the signup process. And I know that there is a little bit of, I would imagine some maybe profile information or something that you would need to get from the merchant in order to respond. So talk a little, a little bit about that. How does a merchant actually get started with Chart Sentry? Absolutely. So I've always been personally annoyed with, you know, when you need to use a service, you have to contact the salesperson and negotiate rates and terms right. and, you know, whatnot, sign an agreement. And that, that could take, you know, depending on your t- schedule, the, the salesperson schedule, it could take a week, if not longer, uh, depending on how unique the, the relationship is. And so we, we took a totally different approach. We took, you know, the SaaS model approach where basically you go, go to a website, you fill in a few details and you sign up. And so our process is, is very easy for merchants. And again, this goes in line with the target market that we're uh, focused on. So go to our website, name, email, password, you're in the system. Uh, once, you're, once you verify your email address, you go through our boarding process, you select your processor, you select your delivery method. So for example, if you're selling uh, you know, uh, some online subscription, it would be a digital service. Whereas if you're shipping something to the customer, then it would be you know, a shipped product or what have you. And then you choose a package that you know, fits your needs and now you're in the system. Then once, once you're in the system, you would have to provide us some basic detail about your merchant account uh, and then that's it. And then the rest, our system does automatically for the merchants. And then we notify them if there's a new chargeback, we notify them if they won or lost, uh, things like that. And so obviously in order to accomplish all of that, you know, you're going to be getting this data, I guess, from the processor. And so, you know, our audience represents a large kind of variation of, you know, different processors they work with. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you, you know, I'm assuming you're grabbing all this automatically from the processor. So do you have a lot of integrations? Like give our audience a little bit of a flavor of of kind of how that works. Absolutely. So we have many integrations with a lot of the top processors in the world, Stripe, PayPal, Shopify, uh, Braintree, and you know that's just off the top of my head. We have many. I mean, we have hundreds of, of different integrations with with processors. There are a few that you know require some manual work on our end, uh, but you know it's some of the smaller processors relative to you know the industry. Got it. Okay, uh, it makes sense. That's awesome. So so basically, let me kind of. I just want to, and I like to do this sometimes in the podcast. Just kind of restate to make sure I'm understanding it. Because if I'm understanding it, I feel like the audience is getting it. So basically, sure. what's happening here is. 
a merchant's coming to, you know, the website or some kind of custom link that you would set up for the ISO or the agent, and they're signing up for the service. <clears throat> they're putting in some information about their company. So you have the information you need to respond to future chargebacks. Then they are kind of linking their merchant account uh, with the processor to your service. Then what happens is the processor is going to, you know, reach out of, hey, there's a chargeback. That's going to notify your system. Then your system's going to go reach out and, you know, get through the APIs and stuff with the processor, grab whatever data you need about that specific transaction. You're going to put all that together with the merchant information you've already got. And your system is going to, you know, compile all that and then automatically generate this chargeback response. Um, and then you're going to monitor the results of that, you know, dispute uh, and then display that to the merchant. Is that, did I get it right? Yeah, Is that, that about right? Yeah, that's, pre that's pretty much. We actually don't rely on the processor to notify us if there's a chargeback. So our system is constantly checking the, okay. the merchant's account uh, if there are any new um, if there are any new chargebacks. And so uh, we immediately collect that. So we, we, we try to uh, collect that as soon as the chargeback happens or as soon as the chargeback uh, enters the processor's uh -huh. uh, system. And so that gives us time to, you know, collect additional information on that transaction, on that customer and so on, as well as giving the opportunity to the merchant uh, to, you know, uh, supply any additional evidence if they have it, if they choose to do that. Got it. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. That's nice. Yeah. So they, they can actually yeah. jump in. Maybe they have a purchase order or something like right. that that right. they want to right. submit as well. We Good. also we also have integration uh, for different packages. We also have integration currently with uh, Gmail and Zendesk. So we know that a lot of uh, merchants will use Gmail or Zendesk uh, for customer service. And so they can connect their Gmail and Zendesk accounts directly to Charge Sentry. And when a chargeback happens, what we'll do is we'll uh, connect to those services, find any communications that they had with that yeah. customer, mm -hmm. and then include that with the chargeback. And again, this is one additional um, evidence that helps uh, win those chargebacks. Yeah, that's I love great. it. I love it. Okay. So I, you know, I totally understand kind of this direct to merchant model. Let's talk about the, the ISOs and agents for a second. You know, what is this? A, is this a revenue opportunity for the ISOs and agents? Is this something that, you know, they can make money on, or is it just purely about kind of efficiency? Like what, how does it work with the ISOs and agents? Absolutely. So there, there's a few aspects when it comes to our partners. And when I say partners, it's not just ISOs and agents. We also work with pay facilitators. We also work with e-commerce service providers, uh, you know, the WooCommerce's of the world and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, absolutely. It does generate revenue uh, for, for our partners. And, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and then what we do is it's, it's um, you know, our integration with our process, uh, with our partners um, is, is not necessarily just a referral link. We could do that, of course, sure. uh, or we could, you know, we 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 work with each individual merchant, uh, excuse me, partner to find the best solution that fits their business flow, right? Sure. So that could be a simple referral link, that could be a full uh, a full integration, it could be a full white labeled solution. So you know, uh, to their to their merchants, you know, arguably they don't even know that what charge entry is. It's just that relationship with their processor. As far as revenue. We approach every relationship uh, uniquely. We understand that every um, partner of ours has, you know, different revenue goals, uh, different metrics related to their uh, to their merchants, and so we approach that differently. We are very uh, liberal when it comes to, um, you know, like a Schedule A, for lack of a better term, and um, you know, we want everyone to succeed. 
you know, yeah. the more money, the more money our partners make, the more money we make. And so we, we definitely do that. And then for, for the partners, it, it's not necessarily just about the revenue. That's obviously an important uh, right. aspect of it, but it relates to a lot of other things. One, they're giving a lot more value to their merchants. So by giving more value to their merchants, they can help reduce attrition of those merchants. Two, uh, the merchant is going to be happy because they're, they're going to be recovering revenue practically automatically. And, you know, the, the happier they are, the more likely they are to stay with, the, with, that, with that partner. Uh, from the partner's end, especially ones, ones that hold risk, um, you know, chargeback, uh, seeing chargeback responses is one element on how processors manage risk. Right. If if a processor isn't getting a chargeback response from any chargebacks from a, a merchant, that could raise flags, uh, red flags, uh, possibly get that merchant terminated. Um, and so respond to those chargebacks, one, helps with transparency of that merchant, and then two, uh, helps manage risk and hopefully not having to terminate that merchant in, in those risk cases. I love it. I, I think it's super interesting what you're doing. I think our, you know, our industry spends a lot more time and money on this than I think they even realize, meaning the ISOs mm -hmm. and agents, you know, it is, just, uh, it's a really annoying thing. I mean, I remember when I was selling full time that, you know, it was very, very common, even with, I, I sold almost entirely low risk, you know, merchants and even with them, you know, it was very common for me to get merchants to reach out. Hey, I got a chargeback. What should I do? You know? And I'm like, Oh, here we go again. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's just annoying. Even if they only get one or two a month, it's still, it's still frustrating. So I know our, a lot in our audience, ISOs and agents, they're going to want to reach out, learn more about what you're doing. Um, where would you send them to learn more, Jack? Uh, you could just go to our chargecentry.com and uh, click on, uh, in the footer, we have a link to our partner program. And, uh, or you could just go to chargecentry.com slash partners. And uh, you can read all about the service. And you could email us at partners at chargecentry.com. Uh, and, you know, someone will reach out to you as soon as possible and help you. And that uh, that name again. So it's the the website address is charge, and then it's s e n t r y dot com, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, charge century like a century guard. Yes. Right. Not not yes. century. So Guarding yeah. Your yes. Not century. Yes. 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 That's correct. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Love it, uh, Jack. Such great information. I really appreciate really? You taking time today to share these insights with us. Thank you. I appreciate your time, guys. Thanks. So Patty, uh, real quick today, as we talk about our sponsor, Valor Paytech, I just want to mention that they are fully stocked. I just got an email yes, from them. I just got that you know? email myself. Yes. And I had just talked to Eric. And I mean, this seems like a small thing, but it's really not for anybody that's no. been in the business the last couple of years. Yeah. Finding good, term finding terminals in general, forget good, just finding right. terminals has been really hard. Finding good terminals has been you know, really challenging. Um, Valor Paytech now, they have done so much work behind the scenes to secure their supply of chips and things chips, like that. Right. Um, they now are fully stocked. They're getting all their shipments. And so if you're looking for a, a consistent provider of terminal hardware, and we're talking not just terminals, I mean, the mobile swipers, right. their little rocket that they have, they have all this really cool stuff. They that have some very cool about. things. Yeah. And, and, and on, of course, online, gateway. You know, being, right. Right. Be, right. You know, being an omni-channel gateway is really important. So, sure. If you haven't already, please go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Uh, if you haven't gotten a um, demonstration, check it out. Send them an email. They'll be happy to demo for you. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training 
to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today in the questions from the field, um, I want to talk about one thing that really stood out to me um, last week. I went out in the field. I sold a dual price uh, merchant with a Valor terminal, of course. And, um, you know, making that sale and having a lot of other conversations with merchants, with other sales that, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll be, uh, you know, getting in the portfolio here shortly. Um, it's been a little while since I was out all by myself. Right. You know, I do a lot right. of consulting type stuff. But for me to be all by myself, walking out there, talking to merchants. Yeah. Which is what and you love to do. I do love to do. It. I really do. I and um, do. it was pouring rain actually. I shot the a video. I'll put a video out about it. And, and it was uh -huh. pouring rain. And I still had a great time. But, um, you know, uh, I'll tell you what stood out to me. And I, I don't know any way to say this without it sounding arrogant. So I'm just going to say it because it's say. true. It, it's like super easy, like the easiest thing ever. And to sell these merchants. And the reason that it's super easy is because I'm an expert and because I'm super confident. Right. And. I think it is a mistake to ignore the expertise and the confidence level. Um, right. I think our industry in a lot of ways really makes an uphill battle for agents because they kind of have this idea of give the agents the information that they need in order to just get out there and take action. Um, mm -hmm. And some agents respond well to that. Some agents are kind of, you know, you have the steak and you have the sizzle. You know, some agents are better at selling, selling the sizzle than they are the steak. Right. And that's right. fine, right? For them, they don't want to get overwhelmed. But I think it's a mistake to put everybody in that box. Understand there are salespeople like me. You know, when I get into this industry, all I did round the clock, other I was out, I was out doing running my appointments, making my sales. But I mean, evenings, mornings, I was researching the industry. And I was wanting to understand everything about it. And that's why today, when I go have these conversations with a merchant, you know, I know for a fact that like me standing there talking to this merchant is going to be a benefit to them. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to add value to their business. I know that I am. I'm not, I'm not wondering about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not worried that I'm going to get right. blindsided by something they say about payment processing that's going to confuse me. Um, and so I think as a result of that, all I would say is if you're a salesperson and you're trying to sell payment processing and you are struggling to do that. Um, again, it's sales. I don't want to make it sound like everybody, you know, everybody I talked to is like, oh, please sign me up. No, I mean, I sold one. I'm not saying everybody I talked to, right? I'll probably sell three more out of my day of prospecting. Um, but I mean, it's like I sold everybody. Definitely a lot of people were like, no, they're not interested. But you know, that's sales. I mean, anybody that expects anything different doesn't understand sales. That's sales, I mean, no matter how good you are. But what's interesting to me is just that's water off a of duck's back to me. I mean, I could care less, you know, like, hey, have a great day. I'm on to the next one. But the idea is if you're having a, a real struggle and you're prospecting full time, you know, how well do you really know this industry? Um, mm -hmm. How confident are you that what you're offering is the right solution for the merchant? And I made a mistake one time in my career in this industry when cash discounting first came out that I, I didn't really believe in it before I went to try and sell it. The dual pricing, I had actually just finished writing this huge ebook that I'm going to release next week on dual pricing, compliance, right. all this stuff. So I was like, I'm all in, like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. all in on it. I believe it's the right thing to do. And it was fantastic. I went out and had a, a great conversation with oh, several merchants, one that I was able to close um, on the spot with the, uh, well, I mean, I came back the next day, but you know, uh, with the iPad there and, and everything. And it was a great experience. And the thing that stuck out to me was 
you, you know, my confidence level and my expertise in this industry still just make it so easy. And it's like when I, I remember when I stopped selling full time and started my first ISO mm-hmm. and I was training these people. And I remember going out in the field with them and thinking to myself, how is it this hard <laughs> for them? You know, they would have somebody where they were like going down the wrong path and the person is clearly not going to buy. And I would just jump in and close the deal. And it was almost like, this is so easy. And, and mm-hmm. I think, again, you have to have the expertise in the industry and you have yeah. to have a high personal self-confidence. Right. Um, that's just so, so important. And, and part of that also goes into the sales ability and the idea of, perfecting your craft. I spent, I spent like years, I mean, I spent like a decade of my life, you know, studying um, the common objections I would get, thinking about rebuttals, reading sales books, coming up with the right rebuttal to the right objection, um, thinking about my approach. And so all of that now is still like, I could like, you know, you could wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me to pitch payment processing and I could do do it. it. Right now. And so I think that's really important. So again, not to sound arrogant about it. I, I just, I want to point out that if you are struggling, you know, um, you probably are not an, a, an expert, a true, a, do you really understand interchange? Do you understand how payment processing really works? Do you understand the compliance issues related to surcharging? If you're selling cash discounting or, or dual pricing or compliance surcharging or whatever, do you know what a gateway is? Do you understand what an API is that can integrate payment processing? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. do you understand how terminals work and how, what, what right. omni-channel means? And like, if you know that stuff, then you just come across as an expert and people right. just want to work with you. Not yeah. everybody again, but the people who are the people who are possible to sell, they really want to work with you because they can tell you're the right person. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, get out there and get more confident um, by reading confidence sales books and, and expertise and, expertise and, and you'll be happy you did. Good, good stuff, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, um, you know, James, I haven't done a data dump in a while. And um, yeah, I thought it might, you know, I came upon a, some research recently by, um, by Fiserv. And, you know, one of the things it, it, it made clear to me is that despite this wave of new consumer payment options like buy now, pay later, you know, credit and debit remain the preferred way of paying for most people, most consumers. Um, it's the preference held for um, all the payment situations. Pfizer asked, uh, it, sorry, Pfizer polled about a thousand and some odd consumers. Sure. Credit and debit were the preferred for most situations. 75% sure. said they want to use it in restaurants. Same for grocery stores, a little bit higher for uh, sporting events and concert tickets, mm. as expensive as those get these days. We know yep. why. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and not surprisingly, credit is the most preferred for purchases over $500, whether it's mm. online or in person. Um, age, though, does play a role. And I thought this was worth noting. You know, seniors and boomers, I'm sure glad they don't call boomers seniors yet. Since um, <laughs> 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 I'm a boomer. Right. Um, are more, more inclined to use credit for large dollar purchases, while Gen Z prefers debit cards. Hmm. And pretty much the same percentages, you know, about half and half, you know. Huh. Well, yeah, Interesting. 60% of the, of the boomers um, like credit, 49% of Gen Z like debit. Um, 
Interestingly, I, I found um, contactless payments have seemed to be losing their allure. Um, dropping in popularity from 37% in 2021 to 29% in, in terms of consumer perception of what's the fastest way to pay. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And the share of consumers saying contactless payments were the most convenient way to pay fell from 31% to 26%. Hmm. Um, digital wallets are gaining, but consumers still don't want to give up their plastic with about 43% saying they would opt to use um, just 43% saying they would opt to use uh, mobile debit rather than their cards. Hmm. But here's the thing that really jumped out at me. Top of wallet considerations. 90% of consumers have a go-to card that they use most often. Um, for most of those consumers, 71%, the go-to card is the one that offers the best rewards. Now, this is noteworthy to me because it's a big issue with merchants in, as they complain about interchange. It came up a lot in that hearing last week um, that yeah. Senator Durbin held. You know, the banks and Visa and MasterCard were saying, if you regulate interchange, then rewards cards are going to go away. And the merchants are saying the rewards cards are the most expensive. We don't really want to deal with them, but we have to deal with them. So, you know, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's also interesting that among high income consumers, those with those that earn over 150K a year, 80% um, of them prefer using the rewards cards. Gen Z consumers are the outliers. They carry, most of them carry just one credit card. Very interesting since they're getting, you know, getting older and eventually mm. going to be a larger share of of the population, you know, of the um, transaction population, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah, that's so, very interesting stuff. It, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and it is a complex ecosystem. I feel like, right. you know, a lot of times I'm so hard on Visa about different things, but I mean, at the end of the day, again, you know, to clarify, I have no problem with interchange. I have no problem with uh, rewards cards. I only have a problem if a free market doesn't exist on both sides. Right. Um, right. And so to me, um, yeah, it's true. You know, consumers, you know, do want to use their rewards cards. They do like getting their mm -hmm. rewards. That's what uh, a big part of what drives that, um, that kind of network effect. Um, right. you know, I believe merchants should have the ability to decide whether or not they want to absorb the cost or not. But, right. um, but I think that's, that's super interesting. So, and another thing that I think is super interesting, James, is that, you know, they compl merchants complain a lot and I, I'm not like, I'm not like condemning what they say, but you know, they complain a lot about the cost of card acceptance, but more and more merchants are doing buy now, pay later. Mm. And what's the effect of interchange? And they don't call it interchange, but the fee they pay for that mm -hmm. is much higher than the, than the interchange. Yeah. Or, or so, what they would do for a DoorDash or Uber Eats or correct. Um, yeah. Grubhub. And they're, they're, they're paying, you know, it's like they're paying 20% interchange in a way, you know. In a way, um, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And I, and well, and I think the reason is because the perception among merchants is that, the card networks have um, matured to the point where, you know, it's unnecessary, you know, in other words, yeah. you know, um, but, I, but I think, I think Visa certainly has an argument to be made there. Um, but, but again, to me, ultimately I'm a, I'm a free market capitalist and, and not that I think it's, you know, you need a entirely free market with no reg regulation. Obviously regulation plays a, an important role, but my Obviously. point is I feel like, 
you know, it's fine to have, you know, I think Visa should be able to, I think they should be able to offer a 5% cashback rewards card with 5% interchange. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. I just feel like as long as the merchant is able to see this information in real time and be able to pass it through to the consumer at their choice or to absorb it again, maybe they, maybe they want to do something. I, you know, to me, I actually feel like it's interesting to me because I actually think that Visa in a lot of ways could go in kind of the opposite direction of what they're going now, where I feel like right now the car brands in general are so much on defense. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting is what would it look like for them to go on the offense? Right. To me going on the offense would look like different networks. And so I know they have some pieces of buy now pay later. Right. But I feel like why don't they go on the offense and create the visa buy now pay later program specifically for merchants and all of a sudden say, buy now, pay later programs are, are, you know, 8% or whatever. And all of a sudden, I think that would almost make it more clear to regulators to say, well, wait a second, what are you, what are you saying? We're going to, are you saying that? Cause I mean, ultimately capital has a cost, right? And if, right. if you want us to deploy capital to help consumers and merchants exchange goods and services, there's a cost to that capital. Right. Right. And so again, i am not at all against that. The only thing I'm against is the idea that they should be able to make their own rules and all of that, but then they should also be able to limit the merchant from being able to do what they want to yeah, do yeah. as and, a result. You know, and what you say about the buy now, pay later, I would not be surprised to see Visa release some sort of buy now, pay yeah. later for the merchants. Yeah. I, well, I they, they have a lot of investments in buy now, pay a later. A lot companies. of investments in buy now, and so does MasterCard for that matter. Right. Right. And yeah. I think it's I just think it's interesting the way that they've approached it, because I feel like whether you whether it's crypto, whether it's buy now, pay later, um, whatever it is, you know, they, they seem to want to make a lot of behind the scenes investments in these companies as like almost a hedge against their own demise in right. some ways. Um, right. But I think it's interesting that they they aren't jumping out of the battlefield in these areas. They're more trying to kind of protect what they like have. Like in the which, background, kind of protecting right. things. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, but yeah, super interesting. I, I'll be very, very curious to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.